Welcome to the Solution Radio Show with Greg Backus. Our world is full of incomplete solutions, leaving people searching for more. God's only solution for all mankind, for all time, is Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Grow in relationship with God, your Heavenly Father, because your purpose is far greater than the day-to-day circumstances of life. Let's join Greg for the Solution Radio Show as he shares from God's Word with us today. Today we are going to look at the name of Jesus Christ and what it means to us. And then also in the second half of the show, our interview segment is with author Bob Rundle. Bob recently wrote The Windows of Heaven. Uh, It's an interview that I trust you will enjoy. Excellent book. I just uh, recently finished reading it. But let's begin here in God's Word. Uh, Jesus Christ is the most powerful name on earth. It's a name not to be taken lightly. It's the name that God has given to his children to use in any circumstance. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. The name of Jesus Christ, that name is above all names. I want to share with you an incident that happened uh, just about 10, 12 days ago. I was getting some medical tests done at a local facility, and Andy, the medical technician, he was having a bit of a difficult time trying to find a a vein in my arm to draw blood, and that's not unusual. Uh, My veins are deep and sometimes difficult to find in the arm, and after a couple attempts at sticking me unsuccessfully, and about 20 minutes later, I said to him, I said, would you like me to pray? He said, go for it. Well, I prayed out loud, and I thanked God for his love, And then I commanded the vein to be visible to Andy in the name of Jesus Christ. Literally, immediately as I said the name of Jesus Christ, Andy found the vein and he inserted the needle. He then said, and this is funny, he says, why didn't you just pray in the beginning? (laughs) Well, that's the power of God. That's God's love. He is concerned about the most minute details of our life, including getting stuck by a needle for a blood draw. If you've got your Bible handy and you'd like to follow along, we're going to start here in Philippians chapter 2, and let's read verses 8 through 11. Verse 8, And being found in fashion as a man, speaking of Jesus Christ, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It states there that his name is above every name. The name of Jesus Christ is above the name of cancer. His name is above the name of depression. His name is above the name of allergies. The name of Jesus is above the name of any and every ailment or sickness. His name is above the name of death. His name is above calamities and storms. That name of Jesus Christ, it is above all names. Have you ever noticed uh, the reaction of people when his name is spoken in public? It's always very interesting. Some may shout hallelujah. Others bow their head in reverence. Uh, Some act as if they didn't hear it, and they just sort of move away. Some scowl. The name of Jesus Christ will always cause a reaction from the hearer, sometimes positive, sometimes negative. Why? There's a spiritual battle in this world, 
There's a spiritual battle going on, and it's hidden to most. The weapons in the battle are words. The word of God versus the words of the adversary, the devil. God's archenemy. No matter what the skirmish in life, God's word will always triumph when spoken on the believing lips of a believer. Of all the words available, the most effective, the most mighty, are found in the name of Jesus Christ. Let's look at another record here in the book of Acts, chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. This is Peter speaking. He's saying, Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand here before you whole. They had just healed a man who had been lame from his mother's womb for 40 years. Well, he continues here in verse 11, This is the stone, speaking of Jesus Christ, which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other name. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's no other name. Jesus Christ is the name by which men are saved. Buddha can't save anybody. Krishna isn't going to save anybody. Mohammed can't save anybody. All the Hindu gods are not able to save anybody. Your money, your good works cannot buy salvation. Salvation is only in the name of Jesus Christ. That's where salvation is found. That's where eternal life is found. It's in that name of Jesus Christ that a man, woman, or child can go from being dead in trespasses and sins to being eternally saved, marked out to spend all eternity with the one true God. Still in the book of Acts, verse 38, uh, actually chapter 2, verse 38 through 39. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of Holy Spirit. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. God is calling you. Jesus Christ gave his life for you so that you could receive the gift of Holy Spirit, eternal life. Back in Acts chapter 4, uh, the rulers, they called Peter, John, and the apostles before them, and they commanded them to no longer speak the name of Jesus. Well, let's start here in verse 17 of Acts 4. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name of Jesus. And they called them and they commanded them, verse 18, not to speak at all nor to teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to listen unto you more than unto God, you judge. Verse 20, But we cannot but, but, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. After Peter and John were released from the authorities, they went back to the fellowship of the believers, and they prayed. And do you know what they prayed for? So this is still in Acts 4. They prayed for more boldness to speak God's word. <laughs> they prayed for more of the very thing that got them into trouble in the first place. They prayed for boldness 
to speak God's word. And then in Acts chapter 5, the apostles were thrown in prison for speaking the name of Jesus Christ and for healing people and for casting devil spirits out of people. But then you know what happened? An angel opened the prison door. Let's read part of that record in Acts chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. The angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go, stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. Here an angel broke them out of prison, and then they were brought once again before the rulers and the council, and they were commanded by the rulers and the council not to speak the name of Jesus Christ. Boy, oh boy, you can't stop God's will. You can't stop God's word. You get thrown in prison, and an angel breaks the door down for you so you can get out. Well, let's look at their response in verse 29 of Acts chapter 5. Then Peter and the other apostles answered, and they said, We ought to obey God rather than men. It's that name of Jesus Christ that will cause men and women to have to make a decision. Each of us must make that decision for ourselves. Each of us receives the benefits or the consequences of that decision. In Acts chapter 26, there's a remarkable record of the Apostle Paul recounting to King Agrippa his conversion on the road to Damascus. There's a remarkable truth here beginning in verse 16 in what Jesus Christ said to the Apostle Paul. Acts chapter 26, verse 16, Jesus Christ speaking, I have appeared unto you, Paul, for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of these things which you have seen and of those things in the future which I will appear unto you, delivering you from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send you. And here's the purpose of the sending, verse 18, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those which are sanctified by believing in me. What a tremendous purpose. What a tremendous direction the Lord Jesus Christ gave the Apostle Paul. You and I today, we are the ones to speak that which we have both seen and heard. There is a dying world out there, lost with no spiritual direction. You and I have the privilege today to speak the words of life which bring light and deliverance to others. The Word of God, the Word of God spoken, will open their eyes and turn them from darkness, from, turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God. God's word spoken on your lips will lead people to receive forgiveness of sins and an eternal inheritance to be, to be received in all of its greatness at the return of Jesus Christ. That name of Jesus Christ, it is the most powerful name that I know. Shine as a light in this world today, holding forth the word of life. I encourage you to preach Jesus Christ everywhere you go. After we return from this short break, we will be joined with Bob Rundle, author of The Windows of Heaven. Please remember to visit our website, thesolutionradioshow.com.
This is The Solution Radio Show with Greg Backus, exploring God's solution for all mankind, for all time, Jesus Christ. Our guest today is Bob Rundle, author of the recently published The Windows of Heaven. From an early age, Bob had an interest in the things of science, having completed college-level courses in astronomy, calculus, and physics while still in high school. And also while in high school, he taught an introductory astronomy class to his fellow high school students. While in college, Bob studied science and engineering as well as the scriptures, the Bible. Through the years, he has been involved in biblical study and teaching, including a two-year missionary program. Bob currently works in the field of engineering and lives in Arizona with his wife, Carol. I'd like to welcome Bob Rundle to the Solution Radio Show. Welcome, Bob. Well, thanks for having me, Greg. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you here today, and I look forward to discussing some things about your book. I just recently finished reading it, and I thought it was tremendous. Well, thanks. Um, could you give Good us some? Yes, yes. Uh, could you give us some of your background in both biblical study and the sciences, and what led you to explore and tie the two together? Yeah, for, as your intro said, from a young age I had a interest in science. I was always dabbling in things, and uh, had a family and relatives that were always providing a lot of input, a lot of interest. And then uh, during my first year of college, I was introduced to Christ. And things changed there because it came from a, a breakthrough, personal breakthrough kind of situation and led me to some answers in my life that I needed. And one of the, the, the things that I quested for is I just told God I wanted to understand how the world was put together, you know, how this beautiful creation was, was made. And I, and I, I really think that um, he worked with me through the years to, to bring me to a greater appreciation of those things. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. And you state in your book that the Bible and a true science really are not a conflict with one another. Can you elaborate on that a little bit for us? Yeah, sure. Where the real conflict arises, um, and it's uh, so, it, and many times it's an apparent conflict, but it's really between the religion of Christianity and the religion of science. Hmm. Uh, you know, usually you don't think of religion as being part of science, but really, at certain circles of science or at certain levels of there is a certain indoctrination, so to speak, with our particular system of science, and particularly in the United States, where it does take on the characteristics of religion. Mm-hmm. But if you strip those things away and really just get down to what does this biblical interpretation say and what does science say, you know, the, the, the results of science, the learning of science, then you can really start to see the same God wrote this book as authored the creation, and you should see a convergence happening. Mm-hmm. And one of the other misconceptions that uh, I address briefly in the introduction is this notion that all scientists are um, atheists, or at least you could come from, you could come out of uh, schooling and and with that belief. But I show there that some of the top scientists of all time actually had a belief in God. And some of them had a very deep belief and personal belief in God. Mm-hmm. Well, also then a great deal of your book, The Windows of Heaven, it revolves around the tremendous truths that are found in the first couple chapters of Genesis. Uh, and two of the topics there are firmament 
and the heavens. Can you give us a, a little bit of a definition or understanding of what the firmament is and the heavens are? Sure, yeah. What it boils down to is the, the term heaven corresponds to our normal modern usage of heaven, which basically means outer space or anything above the earth. The firmament has a specific um, meaning. It, it means an expanse, and uh, the word connotes an expanse of a material object, but it can also just mean, in general, an expanse. And the Bible basically uh, equates the firmament or expanse with the observable heavens, or the um, you know what we visually see as the heavens. Mm-hmm. And really the, the reason there's a distinction is, the only reason there's a distinction is because it, it, the, the firmament uh, uh, had a particular purpose of dividing the waters that it introduces in, in the first chapter of Genesis. Okay. Uh, we're discussing uh, Bob Rundle's newest book here, The Windows of Heaven, on the Solution Radio Show today. And Bob, before reading your book, as I normally do, I I like to read through the table of contents. And chapter three, the deep, immediately caught my attention. And it was like I wanted to just hop right in and read that chapter first, but I didn't. Um, Could you share with our listeners a little bit about what you have discovered about the deep in the scriptures? Well, yes, it it was a good thing that you read the uh, previous chapters, you know, that preceded that, right? <laughs> because they 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 form a basis to understand the deep a little bit more, and um, the Bible introduces that term just suddenly and without explanation. You know, it introduces other terms such as heaven and earth, which the reader is fairly obvious to the reader what they are. But this deep is kind of mysterious. It it. Um, uh, but it is immediately associated with water, because it says in Genesis 1, 1, you know, God, the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the deep, uh, or on the face of the waters. Um, there was darkness upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved on the face of the waters. So there, the, the deep is immediately associated with waters. And then if you just follow the sequence, uh, he no longer mentions the name deep, uh, and then speaks about waters. So it's pretty clear that what's being spoken of is is some body of water, and then you come to follow the sequence of how everything is laid out in Genesis and the rest of the scriptures. It appears to be a uh, great body of water, or, or a component of it, uh, is of a cosmic scale, apparently. Mm-hmm. And... Um, for instance, Psalm 148 speaks about, you know, praise, um, praise him, heaven, the heavens of heavens and the waters that be above the heavens. It indicates that there's waters above the heavens. So this is uh, um, new to astronomy. Right, <laughs> Not right. something that's detected by astronomers, but here it is introduced in the Bible. Yes, very interesting. That was, And you made it very easy to understand, too, the... the information that you communicated about the deep and from Genesis chapters uh, 1, 2, and 3. Oh, now, also, you know, you, you explained a little bit or discussed in your book the time gap between verses 1 and 2 in Genesis chapter 1. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that and what you see in those two verses? 
Yeah. Um, so the first verse, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And, the, and then it says the earth became without form and void. Uh, you know, it, it, uh, the book discusses how that the, what's read in the King James is was without form and void should actually be uh, translated as became without form and void. And this explains quite a few disparities uh, that otherwise are are very glaring between the Bible and science. Uh, and basically, ever since the mid-1800s, Christianity has kowtowed to findings of science and basically thrown out the entire Bible just because of this chronology in Genesis. Because this chronology has not been result, uh, reconciled with science. And here it is, actually, if you read closely what the scriptures say, it's quite easy to reconcile science in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because surely God didn't create it without form and void. And you go into great detail to, to show how it became that way from many different supporting scriptures, which is wonderful. Now, right. I also really enjoyed the section on the future heavens and earth, specifically the city of God that will descend from heaven. We're coming up here to the end of the interview, but could you briefly just sort of tell us a little bit about the, the size of that city that will descend from the heavens? Oh, yeah. When you look at a basic uh, conversion of the units that are used there, this city, it says it's four square, or, and so it's a cube, Mm-hmm. basically, uh, to my understanding. And um, it says it's 12,000 furlongs uh, in width uh, and and also 12,000 furlongs in height. Well, that converts to about 1,500 miles. Wow. So here you have a structure that's basically a planetary-scale structure that would if it were to land on the Earth now, would uh, take up three-quarters of the continental United States. That's amazing. And uh, I speak about some changes that would have to happen to the very structure of the Earth even to support such a structure. Uh, right now, the current Earth would not, so uh, the future Earth would likely will undergo changes, and um, one of those changes uh, that's spoken about is the uh, sun and moon will disappear from our sky. Wow, that's really amazing stuff, and I encourage uh, our listeners to get your book. What is the best way, through Amazon.com, or do you have an email, Bob, where people can reach you? Uh, the best way is to just go to my website, okay. robertmrundle.com. I'll put a link to that up on our website as well. Thank you so much for joining us today, Bob. God bless you. You bet. Thank you for listening today to the Solution Radio Show. God bless you. The Solution Radio Show archives are available at thesolutionradioshow.com, along with resources to encourage and help you in your walk with God. The Solution Radio Show is supported by listeners like you. Make a donation today to join in sustaining God's work at thesolutionradioshow.com. You've been listening to The Solution Radio Show with Greg Backus, and we thank you for joining us today. God bless you. You are God's very best.